to Barbarian Noetics, a podcast dedicated to the human spirit. I'm your host, Conan Tanner. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the BMP. I love you all. I really appreciate each one of you. And we are going to get right into this podcast. Um, so my conversation with uh, Pete in the last pod, we briefly touched on the idea. I asked him about utopia. And I've been thinking a lot about utopia uh, because I think as like a coping mechanism with all the dystopic optics and news and shit uh, in the ethos, ethosphere, I have uh, been gra- gravitating more towards at least really like intentionally making an effort not to just dwell on the dystopia, but to imagine a better world and why not imagine utopia because I believe that obviously there's no platonic ideal of anything is possible so like perfection is impossible so that goes without saying but that doesn't mean that I throw out the entire concept of utopia as quixotic or impossible for me utopia simply means a society that takes steps to minimize unnecessary suffering and a society that takes steps to achieve as much of an egalitarian vibe as possible and I'm not one of these absolutists on either side of the aisle so you know the whole thing of like everyone is going to be like have the exact equal experience that's never going to be the case for so many reasons that I can't even list them all I mean much less like the quirks and and uniqueness and kind of characteristics of each individual. I mean, what does that even mean? Some people, one person's perfect life is another person's like horror show. So I'm not saying that, I'm just saying that a society that has in the front of its mind, its collective consciousness, egalitarianism as a, as a guiding concept. So I've been thinking a lot about this uh, concept of utopia. And so I've decided I'm gonna be doing uh, yet another series that's, <laughs> This is like totally my personality. I love like beginning things and I'm not always the best at ending them. So I'm like juggling three different series right now, but it's okay. Keeping it fresh. But yeah, I'm going to be doing occasional utopia series and conversations with friends uh, where we chat about utopia and what utopia means to them and stuff. And this is just as a way of kind of brainstorming and sort of exercising everyone's ability to imagine a, a better world. So it's not to just dwell in the swamp of, you know, all the things that you can dwell in the swamp about in today's world. So, so um, with that said, this is going to be Utopia Minisode number one and peppering in a bunch of other segments as always. And um, for, this epi- for this first episode of Utopia, I'm going to be discussing the idea of vertical farming. So... Uh, this has recently kind of come into my awareness and I'm fascinated by it and I do believe that there's a lot of promise in it. So I'm going to do a little segment on vertical farming and who knows what else? Y'all, you got to stay tuned to find out. All right. So thanks again for joining the BMP. If you would like to support the show, just please rate, review and subscribe to the Barbarian Noetics podcast on whatever podcast platform you listen. And if you would like to support the show financially, help make my dream come true of having a mobile BMP studio in Central America, 
you may do so at www.patreon.com slash noetics and you can sponsor the show for as little as one dollar a month and you do get bonus content and i'm going to be ramping up my game on the bonus content so for my current patrons i adore you all you are the wind beneath my wings and you will be getting more fun bonus content soon it's going to have something to do with the the words from sponsors. I'm gonna be doing more of those skits and but putting a few of them out only for the Patreon. So in order to hear all of my word from sponsor skits, you're gonna have to become a sponsor of the show. Not to be all capitalistic on you all, but I really want to have a mobile BMP studio and I really want to retire in Nicaragua. So, you know, we gotta make it happen somehow. <laughs> and I would I would rather not have like be be like sponsoring dick pills on here. I I guess I will if I have to, but I'd rather not. Alright everyone. Much love. Thanks for joining. Peace. just wanted to take a quick moment just to say that um, I really appreciate all of you. I appreciate you sticking with me on this podcast as we, you know, figure out the many hiccups that I have encountered on my 70 plus episodes. And I just wanted to address that the last few episodes, I did not realize kind of that there was this issue happening where every once in a while there would be like a glitch in the playback where we kind of like repeat it it would skip some time but it would just like repeat the same two or three seconds like three or four times and I was listening back and it's pretty annoying and kind of jarring so I just wanted to apologize for that and let you guys know that I'm doing my best to fix it I updated the software that I use to uh, record and I like debugged my PC so I'm hoping that this episode does not have any glitches but if it does, I'm sorry, and I'm working on it, doing the best I can, and I really appreciate you guys sticking with me despite these little, these little snafus. All right, thanks, y'all. Peace.
If you see night miss calls on your phone, baby don't panic. I've been thinking about you, mama, wondering if you were done. What's up, everybody? I'm here on the side of the Salt River, Rio Salado, and it is a beautiful Friday morning, Friday afternoon. It's either morning or afternoon, right around there, right in the brackish, the brackish time. And it is an absolutely stunningly beautiful day here in South Phoenix. The sky is pretty much entirely blue with far to the east, there's a little tapestry of really lightly color or lightly kind of dusted cirrus clouds. And it's also, uh, I'm coming at you on Friday and it's Friday the 13th. Sorry about the airplane flying overhead, uh, directly overhead. It's kind of harsh as the mellow a little bit, but we do what we can. Um, so I love Friday the 13th. For me, Friday the 13th is an auspicious day. It's a lucky day. It's a day of, it's a subcultural day. Friday the 13th is a subversive day. It's an insurgent day. And the reason is because it honors 13. And 13 is in, in our masculinized, patriarchal, Gregorian calendar of 12 months, uh, 13 is kind of denigrated. Um, but in reality, in, in the universal reality, in the earth reality, 13 is an auspicious number. It correlates with the divine feminine, and that's because it represents the 13 uh, cycles of the lunar calendar. So 13 lunar cycles per year. And obviously the moon is also associated with the divine feminine. Um, I'm blanking on the name of the moon goddess in Hawaiian. I want to say Hana. Might be Hana. And so anyway, I want to read you guys. And also Friday is named after Freya. And Freya is the Norse goddess of love, fertility, gold, and war. So she's very much like a symbol of duality, a unity of the opposites, as she's goddess of both love and war. And fertility and gold is very interesting. Anyway, I'm going to read you guys a little snippet here from... Uh, this is the Ojibwe... The Ojibwe lunar calendar and the Ojibwe, Ojibwa, Chippewa, or Salto are an Anishinaabe people of southern Canada and the north, northern Midwestern United States. And so I'm going to read a little bit of their lunar calendar. It's really beautiful. All right, so. The Ojibwe moons. So. In January, and I'm, I'm not going to be able to pronounce the, the Ojibwe names for these, so I might try a couple, but I'm not promising anything. <laughs> so January, the, uh, it's the Menido Jesus, or Jesus, Jesus. Um, sorry, my phone went out for a sec. Also known as the Spirit Moon of January. February is the Bear Moon. Oh, and I'll tell a little bit about each moon. So the, the spirit moon of January, first moon of creation is spirit moon. It is manifested through the northern lights. It is a time to honor the silence and realize our place within all of great mysteries creatures. In February, we have the bear moon. 
The second moon of creation is bare moon, when we honor the vision quest that began in the fall. During this time, we discover how to see beyond reality and to communicate through energy rather than sound. In March, we have the sugar moon. The third moon of creation is sugar moon. As the maple sap begins to run, we learn of one of the main medicines given to the Anishinaabe, which balances our blood and heals us. In April, the sucker moon. The fourth moon of creation is sucker moon, when sucker goes to the spirit world in order to receive cleansing techniques for this world. When it returns to this realm, it purifies a path for the spirits and cleanses all our water beings. During this time, we can learn to become healed healers. So all you medicine women and men out there, April is a good time for learning the medicinal arts. In May is the flower moon. The fifth moon of creation is flower moon, where all plants display their spirit sides for all the world to see. This life-giving energy is one of the most powerful healing medicines on Mother Earth. During this moon, we are encouraged to explore our spiritual essences. In June, we have the Strawberry Moon. The sixth moon of creation is Strawberry Moon. The medicine of the strawberry is reconciliation. It was during this moon cycle that communities usually held their annual feasts, welcome, welcoming everyone home, regardless of their differences over the past year letting go of judgment and or self-righteousness. In July, we have the Raspberry Moon. The seventh moon of creation is Raspberry Moon, when great changes begin. By learning gentleness and kindness, we may pass through the thorns of its brush and harvest its fruit as we gain knowledge that will help in raising our families. Quick time out, I just wanna make sure that my uh, happy Notes is still recording, and it looks like it is, which is yay. All right. <clears throat> and we have, let's see. Oh, interesting. Okay, so the eighth moon can fall in either July or August, depending on the year. And the eighth moon of creation is the thimbleberry moon or the blackberry moon. Oh, fuck, yes. I've been eating so many blackberries lately. Oh. Blackberries over cashew milk yogurt, please forget about it. Um, when we honor the blackberry, fuck yeah. I'm gonna do that from now on. I'm, I'm straight up gonna start honoring the blackberry through the, on the eighth moon. Um, the blackberry was one of the first plants put on mother earth and its purpose is to protect the sacred cycle of life by allowing us to recognize and understand the teachings that come from the spirit world. Wow, that's really beautiful. All right, in August, we have the corn moon. In the blue corn moon. Colors of the wind. Um, the ninth moon of creation is the corn moon, during which time we learn about the cycle of life. Each cob of corn has 13 rows of multicolored seeds, which represent all the spirits waiting to begin their earth walk. These will be the future generations for whom we must prepare. In September, I'm gonna give a stab at this pronunciation, the Binakwe, the Binakwe Geizis, falling leaves moon. 
for my Ojibwe listeners out there, you're just gonna have to forgive me because I don't, who God knows what I'm sounding like right now. I'm probably saying like booger face or something actually, but I'm trying to say falling leaves moon, which is the moon of September, the 10th moon of creation. And it's a time when mother earth is honored with the grandest of colors. As all of creation makes their offerings to her, we become aware of all the miracles of creation before us and our spiritual energies are once again awakened. Then October, we have the freezing moon. Not, not as big a fan of this one because I don't really like the cold, but that's why I'm in Phoenix. So um, October is the pretty nice weather moon here. But according to the Ojibwe, it's the freezing moon, the 11th moon of creation, um, a time when the star nation is closest to us. As every creature being prepares for the coming fasting grounds, we are reminded to prepare ourselves for our spiritual path by learning the sacred teachings and songs that will sustain us. November is the little spirit moon. So that's where we're at right now, y'all. The little spirit moon. And of course, I am little raven, so I resonate with that one. The 12th moon of creation is the little spirit moon, little raven's favorite moon, a time of healing. By receiving both vision, uh, by receiving both vision of the spirits and good health, we may walk the red road with purest intentions. And we can share this positive energy with our families and friends for the good of all. Beautiful. And of course, every November, there's November 11, which is a good time for harnessing blessings and sending out good vibes to friends and families. That makes sense. December, the 13th and final moon of creation is the blue moon or big spirit moon. Its purpose is to purify us and to heal all of creation a process which may take a three month long spiritual journey. During this time, we receive instructions on the healing powers of the universe and transform into our own vision of the truth. So before I die, I'm gonna have to do that. I'm gonna have to take a three month healing journey starting in December. And uh, I'm gonna be doing it on a beach. So I'm not gonna be dealing with the freezing moon. I'm gonna be uh, probably on Aruba, I would imagine. And uh, it's gonna be baller. All right, y'all. Friday the 13th. Happy Friday the 13th. If you're a practitioner out there, it's a good day to do some spell casting. Very auspicious. Connected with the Divine Feminine, with the Moon, and with Freya, the Norse goddess of fertility. All right. Peace. You learn things you never knew. You never knew. Have you What's up, y'all? I'm here at the overpass along the river, and on my bike ride today, I have seen, and this is during the daytime too, I'm kind of like amazed at all the birds I've seen. So I've seen an egret, I've seen a heron, I saw a pelican, I saw a great horned owl that 
burst forth from underneath the highway right as I was biking uh, under it. And I saw a golden eagle. I have seen a raven. And I've also, I also saw one type of hawk. I don't know what type of hawk. I think it was a red-tailed hawk. But yeah, I saw all those birds like in the last hour. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know what else to say about it. I've also seen the metal birds, lots and lots of the metal birds. They all seem to be flying in the same directions. And then, of course, there's the large uh, engine bears that are moving rocks around. You can hear them. You can hear them right there. And uh, now I'm looking at a silver sedan that's biking along the, the bike ride road, which you don't normally see that at all. Not sketchy at all. Anyways, from my bird hovel to yours. I remember back when God bless. Now it's hard to stay sane, searching for a new name, but I stay afloat in the stream like the ocean. I used to love the cool summer breeze and great days with leaves falling off the trees. Now I know what I miss. I can't hold in my fist, but one last touch would set me free. Somebody set me free from this trap that you all call the real world. It's all old, but in my heart I'm still young. And my soul says that I should have fun, but to have fun you gotta have some kind of billfold to survive. They say you have to have a job you hate, kind of vibe every day, pushing you closer to the grave. What do we throw? What do we say? What do we know? What are we waiting for? Let's lay on our backs and talk about the cloud shape. Get a good feeling So if you talking, I'm giggling It's not cause I'm not listening I'm just trying to be a kid Filling up these notebooks Looking for my childhood Staring at the sunset Looking for my childhood Flowing with the music Looking for my childhood Walking through this cold world Looking for my childhood Where did it go? I don't know, it just disappeared Where did it go? I don't know, last time I checked it was Where did it go? I don't know, it just disappeared Where did it go? Man, I don't know, somebody must have stole my red And if I never get anything my name's common enough to always be on the souvenir license plate. The sign says walking, yet they try to cut me off because I was wrong when I thought pedestrians had the right away. In the center of my innocence presents a percentage of resent for my indolence. But I give me credit for everything that I finish without a footstep to follow. The walls are full of color, yet the ground is so hollow. So what happened to the happiness we had inhabited? The magic averages at zero when we stop our imagination. Start with the education stifle in the childhood. I turn us all back into children if I could. I turn us all back into children. If I could, I'd turn us all back into children if I could. I'd turn us all back into children if I could. And lead us all to play in the woods. Filling up these notebooks, looking for my childhood. Staring at the sunset, looking for my childhood. Flowing with the music, looking for my childhood. Walking through this cold world, looking for my childhood. Where did it go? I don't know, man. It just disappeared. Where did it go? I don't know, last time I checked it, but where did it go? I don't know, man. It just the following is a mashup of dead-eyed striver weirdo and CIA asset Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who is now guaranteed a spot in Joe Biden's cabinet after being a good little boy and dropping out the night before Super Tuesday to crush the Bernie Sanders campaign and crush the hopes of young people because the ruling class and the Democratic Party really hate young folks. If we learned one thing this primary, they just fucking... They hate young people. They don't want us to have things. So Pete did his job, and the establishment is going to reward him 
with a uh, prominent position in Joe Biden's cabinet. So this is a mashup of uh, Mayor Pete and some death metal, Once Human and Nervosa, both death metal groups with lady lead singers. Enjoy. There is a long way to go. But if this much can change between 2010 and 2020, imagine what could change between now and 2030. Independence, and even what I like to call future former Republicans. Joe Biden is right. And evil Americans. It's the struggle to call out what is country that lives up to the truth and the questions of science and medicine by turning to scientists and doctors. Will we see to it that no one who works full-time can live in poverty? Just as I've seen my fellow Americans' capacity to support and include one another. I campaign for the presidency, often with my husband chastised. Proudly supporting Joe Biden and Kamala Harris.
Well, so today's topic for Utopia is revolves around food security. As everyone knows, uh, there's already nine billion human beings on this earth, and uh, there, soon there's going to be a lot more. And everyone needs to eat, and we're running out of topsoil, and we're running out of literal space, and you know we're overfishing the oceans. You guys know all this stuff. So today's Utopia topic is vertical farming. I am going to play a couple uh, short videos. Um, one video is by a gentleman named Dixon de Pommier, and the other video is going to be uh, Abby Martin and Peter Joseph discussing vertical farming. So it's not just going to be my droning voice the whole time, I'm going to break it up with some other droning voices for y'all, because I love y'all. Alright, so let's see, where should we start? All right, we'll talk about what is vertical farming. So vertical farming is the practice of producing food on vertically inclined surfaces. Instead of farming vegetables and other foods on a single level, such as in a field or in a greenhouse, this method produces foods in vertically stacked layers commonly integrated into other structures like a skyscraper, shipping container, or repurposed warehouse. There's this thing called Controlled Environmental Agriculture, or CEA, technology, and this idea uses indoor farming techniques. The artificial control of temperature, light, humidity, and gases makes producing foods and medicine indoor possible. In many ways, vertical farming is similar to greenhouses where metal reflectors and artificial lighting augment natural sunlight. The primary goal of vertical farming is maximizing crops out output in a limited space. And then the types of vertical farming. So there's building-based vertical farms. And I, I highly recommend that you guys just Google like vertical farms, urban vertical farms, because the images are so fucking cool. Because I love like that purple, blue purple, like indoor grow up light. I love that shit. That's like my, my jam. And there's these amazing, like, I'm looking at one photo right now in Moscow, and it's Moscow. <laughs> I don't know why I said Moscow. In Moscow, and it is, like, so aesthetically pleasing. It's just, like, layers upon layers of this, like, sleek design and pots, like, stacked on top of each other and beautiful leafy greens growing out of all of them. And it's, like, as far as the eye can see, and it's all indoors, and there's the that orgasmic purple-blue LED light that I love so much. Um, really, really cool. So... That's my favorite. My, my personal favorite type of vertical farming is the building-based vertical farms. Abandoned buildings are often reused for vertical farming, such as a farm at Chicago called The Plant, which was transformed from an old meatpacking plant. However, new builds are sometimes also constructed to house vertical farming systems. There's also shipping container vertical farms. Recycled shipping containers are an increasingly popular option for housing vertical farming systems. The shipping containers serve as standardized, modular chambers for growing a variety of plants and are often equipped with LED lighting, uh, vertically stacked hydroponics, smart climate controls, and monitoring sensors. Moreover, by stacking the shipping containers, farms can save space even further and achieve higher, higher yield per square foot. And then there's also deep farms. And a deep farm is a vertical farm built from refurbished underground tunnels. That's so fucking badass. Um, a deep farm is a vertical farm built from refurbished underground tunnels or abandoned mine shafts. 
As temperature and humidity underground are generally temperate and constant, deep farms require less energy for heating. Deep farms can be also uh, oh, deep farms can also use nearby groundwater to reduce the cost of water supply. Despite low costs, a deep farm can produce seven to nine times more food than a conventional farm above ground on the same area of land, and that's according to Safa Rifat, chair in sustainable energy at the University of Nottingham. Coupled with automated harvesting systems, these underground farms can be fully self-sufficient. Dope. And then I'm going to read one more snippet here, and I'm going to have the links to all these articles um, in the description. This one comes from verticalfarm.com. Over the next 50 years, the human population is expected to rise at least 8.6 billion. Holy balls! Because we're all—that's almost double, pretty much double the current. That's so crazy. Over the next 50 years requiring an additional 10 to the 9th power hectares to feed them using current technologies, or roughly the size of Brazil. That quantity of additional arable land is simply not available. Without an alternative strategy for dealing with just this one problem, social chaos will surely replace orderly behavior in most overcrowded countries. That's a nice way of saying <laughs> It's a nice way of saying, uh, some gonna be some Mad Max shit going down without the costumes, bitch. Um, novel ways for obtaining an abundant and varied food supply without encroachment into the few remaining functional ecosystems must be seriously entertained. One solution involves the construction of urban food production centers, vertical farms, in which our food would be continuously grown inside of tall buildings within the built environment. If we could engineer this approach to food production, then no crops would ever fail due to severe weather events, floods, droughts, hurricanes, etc. Produce would be available to city dwellers without the need to transport it thousands of miles from rural farms to city markets. Spoilage would be greatly reduced since crops would be sold and consumed within moments after harvesting. If vertical farming in urban centers becomes the norm, then one anticipated long-term benefit would be the gradual repair of many of the world's damaged ecosystems. Hail Mary! Uh, damage ecosystems through the system systematic abandonment of farmland hallelujah in temperate and tropical zones the regrowth of hardwood forests could play a significant role in carbon sequestration i love that word sequestration and may help re reverse current trends in global climate change other benefits of vertical farming include the creation of a sustainable urban environment that encourages good health for all who choose to live there, new employment opportunities, fewer abandoned lots and buildings, cleaner air, safe use of municipal liquid waste, and an abundant supply of safe drinking water. wildebeests we're gonna get right back into this podcast but first we take a solemn moment 
to pledge allegiance. This Pledge of Allegiance is brought to you by Tide. Don't eat the pods. Tide. I pledge allegiance to our liege of the United Galactic Empire and to the dark side for which he stands, one galaxy under Darth, unenlightened, with subservience, torment, and immiseration for all. Ah, moon. Rise food producing building will only succeed if they function by mimicking ecological process, namely by safely and efficiently recycling everything organic and recycling water from human waste disposal plants, turning it back into drinking water. Most important, there must be strong government-supported economic incentives to the private sector, as well as to universities and local governments to develop the concept. Ideally, vertical farms must be A. Cheap to build. B durable and safe to operate, and C, independent of economic subsidies and outside support, i.e. they show a profit at the end of the day. And this is assuming that we're operating in a capitalist system, so I would prefer to assume that we're operating in a socialist system so that, um, yeah, of course they can be highly subsidized. I mean, fuck, they're going to be producing food, so I think people would be okay with paying taxes for food. If these conditions can be realized through an ongoing, comprehensive research program, urban agriculture could provide an abundant and varied food supply for the 60% of the people that will be living within cities by the year 2030. This migration is largely caused by the plight of the farmer. Meow meow. My meow meow is dragging her toy around because she wants me to play. I'll be right there. People move to the city for various reasons, but the most significant reason is economic. When a city's economy is prospering, it attracts people. The promise of jobs and comfort, glamour and glitter, pulls people to cities. There are also push factors. Droughts or exploitation of farmers can cause extreme rural poverty that pushes people out of the countryside. What is meant by vertical farming? Farming indoors is not a new concept per se, as greenhouse-based agriculture has been in in existence for some time. Numerous commercially viable crops, i.e. strawberries, tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, herbs, and spices, have seen their way to the world's supermarkets in ever-increasing amounts over the last 15 years. Most of these operations are small when compared to factory farms, but unlike their outdoor counterparts, these facilities can produce crops year-round. Japan, Scandinavia, New Zealand, the United States, and Canada have thriving greenhouse industries. As far as is known, none none have been constructed as multi-story buildings, but that's changing as we speak. Other food items that have been commercialized by indoor farming include freshwater fishes like tilapia, trout, trout, and stripped bass, and a wide variety of crustaceans and mollusks like shrimp, crayfish, and mussels. 
So what is proposed here that differs radically from what now exists is to scale up the concept of indoor farming, in which a wide variety of produce is harvested in quantity enough to sustain even the largest of cities without significantly relying on resources beyond the city limits. Cattle, horses, sheep, goats, and other large farm animals seem to fall well outside the paradigm of urban farming. However, raising a wide variety of fowl and pigs are well within the cap capabilities of indoor farming. It has been estimated that it will require approximately 300 square feet of intensively farmed indoor space to produce enough food to support a single individual living in an extraterrestrial environment, like on a, on a space station or a colony on the moon or Mars. Working within the framework of these calculations, one vertical farm with an architectural footprint of one square city block and rising up to three stories, or sorry, rising up to 30 stories, which is approximately 3 million square feet, could provide enough nutrition, 2,000 calories per day per person, to comfortably accommodate the needs of 10,000 people employing technologies currently available. Constructing the ideal vertical farm with, it, with a far greater yield per square foot will require additional research in many areas. Hydrobiology, engineering, industrial microbiology, plant and animal genetics, architecture and design, public health, waste management, physics and urban planning, to name but a few. The vertical farm is a theoretical construct whose time has arrived, for to fail to produce them in quantity for the world at large in the near future will surely exacerbate the race for the limited amount of remaining natural resources of an already stressed out planet, creating an intolerable social climate. And that's what we are working to avoid, and that's what this Utopia series is all about, starting to imagine solutions. So there you go. There's a little bit about vertical farming. Uh, from my droning voice, and now we're going to move on to other droning voices. <laughs> this first one is going to be uh, Dickinson de Pommier, and then after that, we'll do the Peter Joseph and Abby Martin interview. All right, y'all. Peace. I set a fire down below. I hang it up when you say sorry, didn't know. Probably got a year, ten to go, so let's go. I don't really know how to go slow. Just got done walking in the snow. Goddamn, that motherfucker's cold. Hey, you in the wrong mode, you open and close, you know, holes, no go. This whole world's a shit mode, built to the brim like Gitmo. When you think it don't get mo, blow with limbo to the sticks on flow. All oppression's born alive, so I don't make the rules, I'm just one guy. I'll do respect and getting spit on, how respect is not a fine. Hungry for truth, but you got screwed and drank the Kool-Aid. There's a line, it ends directly at the edge of a mass grave that's their design. Funny fact about a cage, they never built for just one group. So when that cage is done with them and you still pour it, come for you. Knew it's lowest on the totem, well golly gee, you have been used You have to build a death machine that down the line will kill you too Pseudo-Christians yelling different, kids in prisons ain't a sin shit Even one scrap of what Jesus taught connected, you feel different What a disingenuous way to piss away existence, I don't get it I say you lost your goddamn minds if y'all possess one to be with Just got done walking in the snow, goddamn that motherfucker cold Just got done walking in the snow, goddamn that motherfucker cold Got done walking in the snow. God damn that motherfucker cold. Just got done walking in the snow. God damn that motherfucker cold. Cold, 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 cold. Yeah, ho, gangsta boo, run the jewel. We back on our shit, and it's cold as fuck. The way I see it, you 
probably free is from the ages one to four. Around the age of five, you shift away for your body to be stored. They promise education, but really they give you testing scores. And they predict in prison population by who's going the lowest. And usually the lowest scores, the poorest, and they look like me. And every day on the evening news, they feed you fear for free. And you so numb, you watch the cops choke out a man like me. Until my voice goes from a shriek to whisper, I can't breathe. And you sit there in the house on couch and watch it on TV. The most you give is a Twitter rant and call it a tragedy. But truly the travesty, you've been robbed of your empathy. Replaced it with apathy, I wish I could magically. Fast forward the future so then you can face it and see how fucked up it'll be. I promise I'm honest, they coming for you the day after they coming for me. I'm Rita Chomsky, I'm Rita Bukowski, I'm laying low for a week. Something on behalf of my people and I popped up in WikiLeaks Thank God that I'm covered, the devil can smother Then you know the evil don't sleep Dick Gregory told me a couple of secrets Before we lay down in his grave All of us serve the same masters All of us nothing but slaves Never forgetting the story of Jesus The hero was killed by the state Just got done walking in the snow Goddamn that motherfucker cold Just got done walking in the snow Goddamn that motherfucker cold Just got done walking in the snow Goddamn that motherfucker cold Just got done walking in the snow Goddamn that motherfucker cold Who really wanna run it with the Jew runners? Go hellfire hot in a new summer. It's cold with a baby in a cool summer. I suicide bomber in a blue hummer. It emerged at the side out of blue zone. Bad news coming to Sun, Two Sun. Three beats like a wet dot Jew on them. Got a short rope crew on them. Move on them. We be the heroes, the breakers, the chains, and the muscles a lot. You be the sucker supporting the bitches that talk to the cops. So there are many examples of worker farms out there which are not traditionally thought of as. Towering uh, gardens of Eden, so to speak, as the images on Google might suggest from some of the planners and, and designers that have submitted their own visions of what they think a vertical farm should look like. Uh, most of those uh, would satisfy the cover of any science fiction magazine I could think of and, and attract a lot of attention and uh, get people to ask, well, what is that building and what is it doing? But we're we're not pretty close to, to, to seeing those yet. I think those are going to be expensive and they're going to take a lot of um, rethinking with regards to urban planning. But we don't have to do that in order to have vertical farms already. Uh, there's a vertical farm in Singapore. It's a brand new building. It looks like a greenhouse from the outside, but it's four stories tall. But it's a clever design. It, it uses traditional growing systems, though. It uses soil-based potted plants on a series of conveyor belts, which migrates the plants by gravity, some kind of a grandfather clock-like apparatus, which actually moves this conveyor belt of plants near the windows, maybe once or twice an hour, so that every plant gets the same amount of sunlight during the day, at least. Because it rains every day, uh, there's certainly no shortage of water for these plants either, and it uses traditional fertilizer. And the guy has moved from a 2,000 square foot operation to a uh, 20,000 square foot operation, the same. There's a vertical farm that's been on the drawing board for a long time now, I'd say five years, which is in the final planning stages and about to dig a hole to make room for the foundation in Sweden. It's called uh, Plantagon, and the Plantagon Corporation is a combination of private investors and the Onondagan Indians of northern New York State. Hence the name Plant Agon. And it's, um, it's a very altruistic group of people. They want to show the world how to farm in another way so that indeed these uh, 340,000 square miles of hardwood forest can start to be given back to nature 
and to perform the job that they were originally selected for. And so I think um, they should have their farm. It's about a 14-story building that they're planning. It's a mixed-use building because it's got offices on one side and a growing system across the entire facade of the building on the other side of the building. So imagine yourself sitting at uh, a conference or some sort at 10.30 in the morning. It's about time to go out and pick lunch. <laughs> so everybody gets up from the table when the meeting is over. They have their trays, they have their little bowls, and they go and they go up and down an elevator and they select tomatoes and cucumbers and zucchinis and <clears throat> all kinds of green vegetables. And they come back and sit at the commissary and have lunch. Sounds like a fanciful science fiction-like uh, scene, but you can already do that at Persona O2 in Tokyo. Persona O2 is a very interesting building. It was built in 2010. It is nine stories tall, and each floor has a different set of edible plants growing in it. It's not a building dedicated just to growing food. In fact, the people inside are human resource oriented. They help companies design retirement plans and uh, benefit plans for hiring and stuff like that. But indeed, when they want to go to lunch, they don't have to leave the building. In fact, they can even go down to the first floor and pick rice and bring it upstairs, winnow it. The grains are then given to the chef. The chef then boils it up and makes them a rice dish with the vegetables that they've already picked. Um, for that kind of operation, it, it can't get better than that. <clears throat> I'm not at all um, privy to the energetics of how much energy it costs for that building to operate. But I do know that the employees are extremely happy. So vertical farming, I think, arising from an idea in 1999 in a classroom that I taught, to see where it's come in the last, uh, let's say, 12 or 14 years has been remarkable, I would say remarkable. quickly let's go back to just what's possible can you explain the notion of vertical farming because i don't yeah. think a lot of people realize what that is and the potentiality so i did an extrapolation in the book regarding vertical farming based on a study out of columbia university and what i've calculated crudely and i did this deliberately to give show the extremity of it if you apply vertical farms to the existing agricultural land just in theory i think it was a 15 story you would produce enough food for 34 trillion people now people say, well, we can't obviously you have different regional things and, and irrigation and so on. But yeah, but it makes moot when you look at that type of number of potential. And the reduction of energy, basically vertical farms allow for a extreme reduction in the need for fertilizer, the need for light and energy, and the need for water. And the, the study, the, the examples of this that exist in different places, granted, you're producing, uh, you're obviously not producing meat. I mean, and, and in truth, human society has to get away from, from animal agriculture anyway, if it expects to be sustainable. You have an incredible potential for abundance. And you put these in localized areas. You know, in New York, they've been converting some warehouses to start doing this. Very, very small amounts of investment is slowly being put into this, but it needs to be amplified rapidly because with the loss of topsoil, with 70% of our 
freshwater going to agriculture in the midst of what is effectively a, a water crisis. By, 20, by 2030, I think it was the stat was 60% of the world would be in a water-stressed area. Uh, it, it, there's nothing positive in those trends at all. So that's one great potential way to not only feed local populations well, but also to remove uh, the incredible ecological footprint that agriculture is doing today. Automation is also used constantly as a talking point against the rise in labor standards, right? Against wage increases, because it will take away these skilled jobs. We saw this in the 80s with, with car manufacturers. We see it today with restaurants, uh, fast food industry, um, stores, right? CVS, etc. You encourage automation because you say that it will liberate people. How? Well, it, <clears throat> there's a few levels to it. First, what has been the greatest source of oppression on this planet? since recorded history. Labor. Yeah. So not only do, is, it, is it irresponsible for us not to apply automation because it's more efficient, it's safer, we can create more of an abundance with, more, you know, with less resources, um, it's also a dra dramatic shift in the way human relations has been. So if we can finally remove that ownership, labor, that old classist duality with the use of automation, that would be profound, just on that level. I mean, you, if you, you know, people say silly things too, like, well, if you increase in abundance, uh, we'll have just have overpopulation. People will keep reproducing. It's actually the opposite now. That was the case at the end of the Malthusian trap. We had a huge burst of, pop, of um, huge burst of population when we found, you know, hydrocarbons, and then the technology boomed. But when you look at stats now in countries that have overpopulation, they're poor countries. And when you have countries that actually have decent affluency, they they're not reproducing rapidly anymore. So if you want to stop what people perceive as a apparent overpopulation, which is a dubious word because it's not quantifiably viable, you know, there isn't, there's only overpopulation in our society because our society is so inefficient. It's not overpopulation uh, because you know, suddenly we're at ma outdoing the resources of the planet. Um, but if you create an uh, equitable playing field and you meet people's needs, the population issue will not be an issue. It would completely create it. I can't even emphasize enough what it would do to the psychology of people to be free of that drudgery and that sense of exploitation of each other. Was born in 1853. When he was 17 years old, he was active in the Cuban liberation movement and he was exiled by the Spanish governor. He spent most of his life in exile, including 12 years in New York City. He wrote 70 books poetry, novels, polemics. He's one of the greatest writers in the Spanish language. At the age of 42, he went back to Cuba. This is one of his last poems because he was killed within the year in an abortive uprising. After he died, people put it to a popular tune Guantanamera Guajira Guantanamera Guantanamera Guajira Guantanamera Yo soy un hombre sincero De donde crece la palma Yo soy un hombre sincero De donde crece la palma, antes de morir me quiero, echa mis versos del alma. Juan 
Guantanamera Guajira, Guantanamera Mi verso es de una verde claro y de un carmen encendido. Mis versos es de una verde claro y de un carmen encendido. Mi verso es un cielo herido que busca en el monte amparo. Guajira, Guantanamera Guantanamera Guajira, Guantanamera The words mean I am a truthful man from the land of the palm trees and before dying I want to share these poems of my soul. My poems are soft green My poems are also flaming crimson. My poems are like a wounded fawn seeking refuge in the forest. The last verse says, Con los pobres de la tierra, with the poor people of this earth, I want to share my fate. The streams of the mountain pleases me more than the sea. Con los pobres de la tierra Quiero yo mi suerte achar Con los pobres de la tierra Quiero yo mi suerte achar El arroyo de la sierra Me complace más que el mar Guajira, Guantanamera Guantanamera Guajira, Guantanamera Once more Guantanamera Guajira, Guantanamera All right, y'all, what's up? You have made it to the end of the show. <laughs> And as your prize, you get a reading from yours truly. Today, I'm going to read from a book called The Invisible Pyramid by Lauren Isley. And I'm going to turn to a random page and read a paragraph or two. And that's how we're going to close out this show. All right. So this is what I just turned to. It seems like it's in the middle of one of his essays. They could never, by any conceivable stretch of the imagination, be aware that their so-called universe was, in actuality, the prowling body of a cat, or the more time-enduring body of a philosopher, himself engaged upon the same quest in a more gigantic world, and perhaps deceived proportionately by greater vistas. What if, for example, the far galaxies man observes make up across void spaces of which we, even we are atomically composed, atomically composed, some kind of enormous creature or cosmic snowflake whose exterior we will never see? 
we will know more than the phagocyte in our bodies, but no more than that limited creature can we climb out of our universe or successfully enhance our size or longevity sufficiently to thrust our heads through the confines of the universe that terminates our vision. Some further quote outside, unquote, will hover elusively in our thought, but upon its nature or even its reality, we can do no more than speculate. The phagocyte might observe the salty turbulence of an eternal river system, Lucretius the fall of atoms creating momentary living shapes. We suspiciously sense in the concept of the expanding universe derived from the primordial atom, the monoblock, some kind of oscillating universal heart. At the instant of its contraction we will vanish. It is not given us, nor can our science recapture, the state beyond the monoblock, nor whether we exist in a diastole of some inconceivable being. We know only a little more extended reality than the hypothetical creature below us. Above us may lie realms it is beyond our power to grasp. This, then, is the secret nature of the universe over which the ebullient senator so recklessly proclaimed our absolute mastery. Time in that universe is in excess of 10 billion years. It recedes backward into a narrowing funnel where at some inconceivable point of concentration, the monoblock containing all the matter that composes the galaxies exploded in the one gigantic instant of creation. Along with that explosion, space itself is rushing outward. Stars and the great island galaxies in which they cluster are more, more numerous than the blades of grass upon a plain. To speak of man as, quote, mastering, quote, unquote, such a cosmos is about the equivalent of installing a grasshopper <laughs> as Secretary General of the United States. United Nations, it says, but I would vote for a grasshopper for Prez, a hundo percent. Worse, in fact, for, worse, in fact, for no matter what system of uh, propulsion man may invent in the future, the galaxies on the outer rim of visibility are fleeing faster than he can approach them. Moreover, the light that he is receiving from them, from them left its source in the early history of the planet Earth. There is no possible way of even establishing their present existence. As the British astronomer Sir Bernard Lovell has so appropriately remarked, quote, at the limit of present-day observations, our information is a few billion years out of date, unquote. And I'm going to end there because I'm having trouble pronouncing words now. It's the end of the day here. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to get this podcast out to you guys. So thank you, as always, for listening. And as always, if you would like to support the show, uh, there's many ways of doing so. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the Barbarian Noetics podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, you can become a patron, a glorious, glorious patron at www patreon.com slash noetics and help me achieve my dream of the mobile bnp studio through central america you can sign up for as little as one dollar a month and you get bonus content and i'm going to up my game so all, all my present patrons out there i'm going to up my game on the bonus content um, it's going to involve more skits more words from sponsors so you can look forward to that and you can you can uh, have gain access to those if you become a patron at www.patreon.com patreon.com slash noetics you also get a lifetime worth of good karma and that guaranteed truckload of kittens so it's a pretty good deal um, for just a dollar a month to get a truckload of kittens is not bad so all right y'all until next time be good to yourselves and be good to each other much love peace
natural disasters My baby has been around for me Kingdoms are falling Angels be calling None of that could ever make me leave yeah. Every time I look into your eyes
Boy, you lead me to 